This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, wait. Are you drinking up? First, you gotta do the trouble shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W G M. Watch this movie. Welcome back to a brand new episode of WTM Watch This Movie. I am Eric Mulder. Some of us pump, and some of us slump. Joining me, per usual, is Mr. Positivity, Wolfie T, also known as Brett. You want to talk? We'll talk. I'm a sucker for good conversation. What's up? I had to make sure they announced your name also as Brett. One of the characters' names in the film today is Brett. And they yell at him constantly. <laughs> I'm nothing like him, just to be clear. <laughs> just want to put that out there from the beginning. We have nothing in common <laughs> besides our names. What about last film? Did you feel a connection with Pulp Fiction's Brett? I do have a big brain. Check out the big brain on Brett. You're a smart motherfucker. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. I would. Should I say I would also be nervous if Sam Jackson was yelling at me and drinking my soda? Well, I was wondering if you were sincerely sorry about things getting so fucked up with Mr. Wallace. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just wanted to say. I got your name, Vincent. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get yours. <laughs> my name's Pitt. Your ass ain't talking your way out of this shit. All right. Well, it's uh, it's that time of year again. The horror extravaganza is upon us. This is the first episode. We're covering Stage Fright, an Italian horror film. The theme this year is faux American horror. So this is, these are films that take place in the U.S. but aren't filmed here, largely. Outside of some minor B-roll, I guess. So this is an Italian production. And... You know, I, I saw it for the first time a few years ago, I think on Shudder, and I really liked it a lot, and uh, I could tell it was obviously not made by uh, Americans, but watching it again, I was like, God, does this even take place in America? I'm not sure. <laughs> this is the first movie in our series, and I don't want to fuck up with the first yeah, one. Screw up the whole uh, <laughs> premise. But uh, I'm pretty sure it, it is... Everything's dubbed, however, I could tell a, at least some, if not most, of the actors are actually speaking English. I could lip-read some of them. Now, the the producer, the, the character producer in the film, one with all the money. Ferrari. Uh, yeah, Ferrari. I believe he was just speaking Italian. Whenever he talked, it sounded like he was just, nothing was matching up. He was like that dude in Die Hard with a Vengeance who picked up the badge. And then pretended to be the cop in the, in the, uh, the not the bank, but whatever the, they were trying to steal the gold from. Otto doesn't speak English, do you, Otto? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it seemed like some of the characters spoke English. Uh, I watched an interview with the director, and he talked about at least some of the actors speaking English. And they do mention one of the characters being from Boston. 
The character said, with the thickest foreign accent is <laughs> from Boston. Um, they do use American money. Ferrari has lots of American cash. Uh, and you know, license... yeah, was, I was going to say, you noticed a California license plate on the car. I, I think it was California. It was an American license plate for sure. I think it was California, but it was hard to tell for sure. And then I was trying to read the uh, the police badge, not well, the patch on the police uh, uh, uniform, and it said Metropolitan Police, but I, I couldn't quite read it, like what city it was. It almost looks like District of Columbia, which would be weird for them to have a California car and then I'll be in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know how much effort they put into uh that uh but um it does take place in america from from the uh things that i saw the car that the police officers are sitting in does not look to be american but i suppose i could have looked it up on i am cardi b or whatever it is maybe they're in that movie car database it does look a little small. There's a picture of it on IMDb. It is a little small for a cop car. <laughs> but you can't, I, I can't make out what the badge says on the side of the, the cop right. car. Right, yeah, I couldn't either. And I assume that was by uh, design. Yeah, could be. Probably because it may have said District of Columbia, and it was supposed to be set in California. And I mentioned this to you earlier, or before you rewatched it, doesn't it feel like those cops were straight out of like 1970s America? Like they looked a little bit out of date with their uniforms. This is this is May 87, but they look like they're from the 70s, didn't they? A little bit. They seemed like they were like out of like car 54, where are you? Or something <laughs> like that, you know? Or yeah, Keystone they were very cops. They were dressed very formally for police officers. <laughs> well, they're just like cracking jokes the whole time, too, you know, like Right. Every scene of them is just them like cracking jokes in the car. They're on a stakeout. Obviously, <laughs> you've not seen the the stakeout franchise, stakeout and another stakeout with Richard Dreyfus and Emilio Estevez. I've not. God, who was uh, I, I? I saw this interview the other day. God, I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about working with Charlie Sheen and Emilio or something back in the 80s. I think it was Rob Lowe because he was a member of the, the Brat Pack. And Rob Lowe referred to their last name as he said Estevez. I've always said Emilio Estevez, but he was saying yeah. Estevez. So I've been saying it wrong all these years because he said at the time Charlie was still going by Charlie Estevez back in like the early to mid 80s. Carlos. 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 Yeah, Car- Carlo, yeah Carlos Estevez. <laughs> uh, now they bring shame upon people who. <laughs> whitewash their names for the sake of uh, <laughs> fame god forbid i uh have a name that the american public can pronounce <laughs> can't do that anymore well let's get into the details of stage fright also known as aquarius uh in italian uh deliria is the original title yeah, this movie's got like five different, five or six different names. Mm-hmm. There's a, yeah, there's another title too. I forget what it was. Um, but there's gonna be a lot of names and actor names that I'm gonna butcher. So just bear with me. The Soundstage Massacre, Bloody Bird, Bloody Bird. I guess because he's cuckoo, right? 
<laughs> well, he's, <laughs> and he's, he's a bird. Owl. He's a bird who the night owl blood splattered on him. There's a lot of similarities between the night owl and the nightman cometh. I thought <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> uh, this film was directed by a name that I'm going to butcher, but uh, I'll say Michel uh, Suave, also known as Mikel, possibly. Suave. Uh, Mikele, maybe. Mikele. I, I found uh, that I am uh, CDB. That cop car was a 1981 Plymouth Reliant K. Ooh. So uh, I don't think they use those for cop cars. They don't, but it is a, an American vehicle. So I'm yeah. at least half wrong. The only uh, non-foreign one is there's a Volkswagen Cabriolet okay. in there. The woman who dies first, her car's a hatchback, right? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out which one's which. Because one of them's a, there's a Chevy Chevelle Malibu, a Ford Falcon, and a Volkswagen Cabriolet Type 1. But I can't really tell which one's which. The pictures are too small. Just slightly similar to the Honda hatchback in Pulp Fiction. Actually, yeah, the first one, uh, the station wagon is the Chevelle Malibu wagon. Okay. But this director, Suave, is, is a protege of Argento. Uh, he first worked as a second AD on Tenebrae, and he kind of worked his way up. And this was his first feature film uh, for big-time Italian producer Joe D'Amato. This was also written by George Eastman, who is also pretty prolific. I see he also did the screenplay for Caligula, The Untold Story. <laughs> Because I looked, I was like, oh, Caligula. And then <laughs> there was a colon there. <laughs> this is the untold story. Is that like a sequel or a <laughs> spinoff? It, it is unrated with a 4.5 rating on IMDb. So maybe Italian knockoff. Also starring the same uh, David Brandon, who's in Stage Fright, playing the director in Stage Fright. So like Hamlet 2? <laughs> 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 Yeah, I should probably preface this by saying you and I are no experts in Italian cinema. However, as luck would have it, we are going to have an Italian film expert on our next episode discussing the New York Ripper, which is by Lucio Fulci. His name is Ian Urza. He also makes appearances on Land of the Creeps podcast, and he knows pretty much everything about Italian cinema. Seems like that's all you look at his letterbox. That's all he does is watch Italian films. And New York Ripper is his favorite, at least uh, Jalo wise. So, um, and he also mentioned that he was excited. They were talking about stage fright because he knows some of the people do the uh, audio dubbing for both stage fright <laughs> and New York Ripper and some of the uh, crossover between the cast and crew and whatnot. So, I'm sure we'll learn a little bit more about Stage Fright next episode. However, bear with the uh, the novices in Italian cinema, us. We never claim to be experts on anything. We don't, but we do have a passion for it. And you moderately like this movie. I love it. So <laughs> we both like it, at least to a certain extent. It's very silly. <laughs> it's a very silly movie. I think this could be borderline five-star film if this was, I don't want to 
just say American production, but like the ADR and some of the production quality was a little suspect and a little bit of the dialogue was, you know, I mean, some of that's because I don't know, they're using mostly Italian actors. So maybe they just weren't that well-versed in the dialogue. Like I remember like the only film I ever worked on was an independent film here in Minnesota and the director writer was from Africa originally. And he spoke English perfectly well, a little bit of an accent, but, but even though he spoke it well, he had no grasp of how people talk to each other. <laughs> the dialogue was just a fucking mess. Embarrassingly. So working on the set, I learned things from him, like technically how he moved the camera and things he would do with the camera stuff like that. But like his dialogue was just got off. A lot of the actors were, you know, it's amateur hour with these actors too. Yeah. So some of them are just, you know, tryhards and they're just working through it. But a lot of the people behind the camera were like, God, this is, <laughs> this shit makes no sense to the point where like, there were certain times where it was like, yeah, they're not saying that. No, that's not, we need to take care of this. Someone just had to work up the courage. Like, you know, I think it might work better if you do this. That's like that movie I made you watch a few months ago, Down, a.k.a. The Shaft. Oh, yeah. The the elevator movie, where mm-hmm. it's like, clearly this dialogue was not written by a native speaker. Yeah. Well, plus that film stars James Hurley from Twin Peaks, and he is the worst <laughs> actor in that show. And I guess he's one of the best in Down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the dialogue did him no favors, but you know it fit him better in Down because it's more of a genre picture where the dialogue's not as important. Yeah, akin to Stage Fright, but like I, I like a lot of the director's choices in here, and I liked how it was shot. There's plenty of things to like here that overcome its shortcomings. Easy to overlook the shortcomings, I think. But as you said, it is pretty silly. There's some cool stuff. I I like. Like it's it's almost laughable, but it works because there's a lot of parts where like the the killer we'll we'll get into it, but the killer will hit the music cue that they were using for the stage play <laughs> to set his murders against, <laughs> and it it works, although it's like bizarre. Like why would he do that? Uh, you know, I, I guess it's for a flyer for the dramatic. Uh, you know. Why was he wearing a, a mask and things like that? I thought it was to kind of cover up his tracks a little bit so they couldn't hear him coming and going as easily. That could be it. Because it's uh, not, I mean, it looks a little silly because it's the the reel to reels on like a, I think it's on like a little rolling tray, right? Or like a little table or yeah, something. It's like a little table. Yeah. And there's no speakers right next to it. So you kind of like in your head, you probably imagine, oh, it's one of those old record players or whatever with like a built-in shitty speaker, but this is a theater production. So it's hooked up to, I guess the, the house sound probably yeah. it's a sound stage. So there's probably speakers everywhere. So the music is probably really loud and projects throughout the building, but you're not going to get much of an argument for me. If you said it's just for a flair for the, you know, uh, dramatic, but I think it could be used to cover his tracks a little bit. I suppose it's not much different than uh, the movie I just had you watch for the movie challenge, <laughs> Dr. Fibes. 
<laughs> I mean, that was a hell of a movie, and he mm-hmm. he was just as flamboyant. <laughs> but uh, I, I I did like I did like that stuff though. I did, yeah. you know, you, you put some logic into it that I didn't really think about, but I, I liked it anyways. Well, it's probably because I'm a, I'm a fan of the Jackal, the 1996 remake featuring Bruce Willis, in which one scene he uses a a stereo blasting this. God, what kind of music was it? It was very 90s. It was like 90s house music, basically. <laughs> it was it was some electronica type music, I think, or like almost like a grungy electronic. I don't know how to describe it. Ace of bass, maybe like garbagey, if you know what I mean. Like Shirley Manson garbagey, like the like the band garbage. <laughs> yeah. But he uses it as a distraction to slaughter people because <laughs> he's ambushing them, hiding underneath the stairs. But I've not seen the jackal. We never seen the jackal. I feel like there's been several times where I thought about watching it and it just haven't. Richard Gear with a thick Irish accent. I've <laughs> never been a Richard Gear guy. You know, even before I found out about the gerbil, <laughs> <laughs> never, never really found him appealing. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan, but then I heard about that gerbil. I was like, <laughs> let's check out Pretty Woman, American Jigolo, pretty good. I guess that's what is okay. more dramatic. Okay. Anywho, let's get back to the details of stage fright. Yeah, prolific Italian filmmakers all around. I'm sure Ian can fill us in a little more. As we talk about Fulci and New York Ripper next week, but uh, this film stars David Brandon as Peter. He's the director. Because Richard Barkley is Doctor Porter, which you see in the Insane Asylum for like one scene. Uh, Barbara Cupisti uh, is Alicia, and Domenico Fiore is the police chief. Robert Gilgarov as Danny, Sheila Goldberg as the nurse. It's an easy one to say. Mickey Knox is the old cop. Giovanni Lombardo Redis as Brett. He would be the very theatrical man who was originally the night all in this production. He was credited as John Morgan. Yep. With an H and an E. That's not how you spell Morgan. Clayne Parker played Irving Wallace. Loredania Perella as Corinne. Martin Phillips played Mark. James Edward Simpson was Willie. Samson. Sorry, Samson. Ulrike Schwerk as Betty. Mary Sellers played Laurel. Yanni. She played Yanni. Mary Sellers? Remember that meme? Is it mm-hmm. Laurel or is it Yanni? Or oh, yeah. Was? Yanni or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joanne Smith played Sybil. Piero Vita played Ferrari. He was also in uh, Deep Red. So another connection to Argento. Also in Man on Fire, 87, which you've seen. Yeah, I couldn't. I've seen it once. I couldn't tell you who he played in there. Oh, he played Kidnapper. Okay. That narrows <laughs> it down. <laughs> there's a couple of people listed here as dancers. There's a lot of stunt doubles. Even the guy, there was another guy who was wearing the mask. George Eastman, the, the writer. Mass scenes only for Irving Wallace, uncredited. 
So that Irving Wallace guy apparently just showed up for his three scenes without a mask, <laughs> and George Eastman's like, "Let me take care of the rest of it." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't got the budget to pay this guy for five days of work. Yep. And the young cop was played by the director Savi. Kind of looks like James Dean. <laughs> <laughs> so says he. Synopsis. A group of stage actors lock themselves in the theater for a rehearsal of their upcoming musical production, unaware that an escaped psychopath has sneaked into the theater with them. It opens up with, you don't know it right away, but it's a a scene from the production. There's credits over a black background, Mm -hmm. and it sounds like they're drowning a cat. (laughs) (laughs) The, does it not sound like they're drowning a cat? Because I it's thought they were drowning a cat. <laughs> <laughs> like that's uh, I don't remember that. <laughs> but but then like they they open up to the you know the street view uh, as you said, and the cat runs by. So like, yeah, they weren't drowning a cat, but it sounded there was like water sloshing and cats screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you said, it opens with a, a street view on the production stage and a street walker. Yep. Some lady of the evening walking her beat. She turns down a John. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> and she gets, uh, there's a man in the darkness that pulls her in from behind. That's basically where they cut, right? You find out that it's a, a theater production. Well, they, uh, yeah, so they, they pull out and it's the guy in the the mask, the owl mask. He's got mm-hmm. this giant owl Brett mask on head. <laughs> and uh, I don't think they cut right away because they 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 kind of do the, the part where she gets killed. Yeah, you think she's dead. And then, but then, like, I don't know if you noticed, they threw a dummy version of her like 20 feet in the air. <laughs> the lands on the stage but then like they cut and like it's her again like i i i didn't go back i should have gone back and seen what happened because i just see this dummy in the air and it just falls and then they're all (laughs) dancing around it and then all of a sudden it's it's like it's not supposed to be a dummy it's supposed to be her like she was flying through the air because there's no dummy elsewhere in the scene. I don't know. It was weird. And then there's Marilyn Monroe's playing a saxophone on one of yeah. the buildings. Heavy sax in portions of this score. which I love the score. But yeah, this was seen very late 80s. Very on yeah. brand. <laughs> Lethal Weapon was 87. Famous for its saxophone infused score. Although I don't think this was. I don't think this was taking notes from Lethal Weapon. But Probably it seemed not. like saxophones were more popular in film in the late 80s, early 90s. But this, uh, it's quite the opening. There's a lot of stuff going on right from the beginning. Then I have a note written down that I don't 100% remember why I wrote it down. Victim rapes her own murderer? Question mark. Is that possible? <laughs> that, that, that is the first clip I want you to play. Okay. It's him talking about that. Because <laughs> he cuts the rehearsal and he says, Cut, you're supposed to be a whore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want more sex. S E X. 
And then he's like talking about somebody says like, this isn't how it actually happened. And he says, well, I'm trying to titillate the public. What mm-hmm. if the victim raped her own murderer? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I couldn't remember if it was actually spoken or if it was uh, implied to be acted out on stage. I forget if that was supposed to be the Alicia character doing it. Cause like she should already be dead. Yeah. That's I, I was confused, but <laughs> it's weird. I think it was. I think he was yelling at her. Which like, is he, why he's it, giving her a hard time the whole time. That's why it reminded me of the Nightman cometh with all the rape. And the, <laughs> the Nightman was basically the giant owl. But <laughs> all right, yeah, we can uh, play the first clip. Too much to ask? Sex. S-E-X. What that is? Hmm? Frankly, Collins, it seems fine to me as it is. I think you push the erotic angle about as far as you can. The erotic angle? You call that erotic? Mr. Ferrari, where have you been all these years? When I catch the genius who made this headdress, I'm going to make him eat it. If you ask me, you ought to wear it all the time. It does wonders for you. And the kiddies? Anyway, I don't see what the business about the victim seducing a killer has to do with anything. All right. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. But can you imagine the effect on the public? The victim who rapes her own murderer should be sensational. Betty! What is it? My zipper's gone again. Again. I'm here to protect my investors, not your precious career. I'm losing battle in any case. How's your ankle? It's killing me. You really shouldn't be working at all, you know? Yeah, tell that to my landlord. In case it slipped your mind, this show opens in just one week from now. And as you can see, those people up there literally stink. Next, we get to the girl uh, hurting her ankle, right? Well, there's a short scene of Sybil on the telephone. And she's like, oh, I'm positive. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just kind of leave it. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> Don't bleed on me later. <laughs> yeah what kind of positive you find out later that she's pregnant yeah testing positive that sounds like a vd you know yeah i know but, <laughs> but i got the inkling that was oh i think she's pregnant because she seems happy with the news or at least not traumatized she seems uh uh, uh i'm lost for words here she's uh indifferent <laughs> not in it's... yeah not a little better than indifferent right not indifferent she's conflicted she's different she's (laughs) conflicted that's the word she's the opposite of indifferent (laughs) she's different she cares (laughs) she just doesn't know if she should be happy or not yeah because when it's vd you know you're not supposed to be happy (laughs) just real quick maybe she did the uh uh mitch hedberg roundabout aids test hey uh 
just wanted to call and ask you, do you know anybody who has AIDS? Nope. Well, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. R.I.P. Uh, R.I.P. Mitch Hedberg. Minnesota zone. Yeah. 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 I want to find that film he did here. It's uh, hard to find, like, independent film that he did. I know he did a joke about how uh, because you can do comedy, everybody wants you to do everything related to comedy. Like, uh, you do comedy, can you write? It's like, it's a... it's like asking if you uh if you're really good at cooking, like you're a good cook. Can you farm? <laughs> <laughs> we had another one about he wrote a script and the took it to a producer and he says, I, I really like the script, but I think you need to rewrite it. Well fuck that, I'll just make a copy. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so many of those great lines. Mm-hmm. By the way, there's another rape scene that they're rehearsing here. This, this one with Laurel. <laughs> there's a lot of rape scenes in here. How about that uh, outfit on Laurel? What, what, what was that about? Uh, not sure. The really puffy one with the blue dress and the, the mm. Wendy's wig. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I like Corinne's outfit. Ooh! I love to jump on hot bones. Mm. Right when she meets her demise, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so okay, so who sprains her ankle? She's one of the oh, Alicia. Alicia. Alicia sprains her ankle. And they end up going to the. Uh, they 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 find the nearest hospital. Mm-hmm. She happens to be a mental institution. Yeah, I forget. Did they mention that before they went in? Like oh it's a mental place but you know they'll they'll take a look at your ankle. It's it says on the door it's like okay. Mary's uh, mental institute or something or mental hospital. I mean obviously it says the word hospital but I remember watching it like god it's like all mental patients in here what are they doing there? <laughs> <laughs> I I can't remember if they I I think they might have known it was but it was like there there wasn't anything else anywhere close. So, but so they're like, you know, psychiatrists got medical degrees too. It was like a building full of Jill Bidens. They're like, well, she is a doctor, so we should go get her ankle looked at here. <laughs> That's Dr. Jill Biden to you. <laughs> like Dr. Bill Cosby. <laughs> Making her, it wasn't even an earned, it was an honorary doctorate. He didn't even finish school. <laughs> Is uh, is Neil deGrasse Tyson a doctor? Probably, uh, technically, you know, he's not like an MD or anything, but I'm sure he's. But I mean, like, you know, it's like I never got the the Biden thing because I was like, yeah, I went to I went to college. Everyone there is a fucking doctor. Nobody has you called them doctor. (laughs) Everyone there, all your professors have a doctorate. Yeah, none of them go by doctor. I guess maybe I didn't go to a a school where it was all hoity-toity but to a state university yeah you didn't go to, to an elite east coast university <laughs> maybe if i went to harvard or something everyone has you call them doctor i guess an old decorum all my college professors just had us call them by their first name like they're a human being 
So you can treat me like a person. <laughs> this is a house of learned doctors. <laughs> Show some respect. Like, you don't even call your dentist a doctor. <laughs> well, there's uh, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, former AEW women's champion. DDS? <laughs> That's Isaac Yankum. <laughs> Isaac Yankum was a DDS. From Decatur, Illinois. <laughs> Isaac Yankum, Dr. I Yankum, <laughs> DDS from Decatur, Illinois. <laughs> That's back when wrestling was fun in 1995 when nobody watched it. <laughs> that was almost when I started watching. I started watching with NWO. That was what, 96, 97? Yeah. Yeah. Between uh, like 93 and 95. Well, between 93 and about halfway to 90 through 96. It was pretty lean years for the wrestling <laughs> industry. Everybody had to have a, another job besides wrestling. Mm. Like tax collector, garbage man, um, clown. Dentist. They played as their characters usually, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the trash man. Duke the Dumpster Drossy. There's literally a wrestler whose character was a trash man. Every character in the in that time in the WWF was based on a, a real life job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and looking back, I don't understand why. Because it's basically like they have their day job and then they wrestle at night and on weekends. Speaking of wrestling, you should tease your upcoming appearance on the wonderful Midnight Movie Cowboys podcast. Oh, yes. I, I've been asked to... Uh, do a guest spot on the Midnight Movie Cowboys uh, to cover the movie Ready to Rumble from the year 2000, starring David Arquette. And uh, is it Scott Kahn? I think Scott Kahn's the other guy. That sounds about right. Scott Kahn was yeah. everywhere from about 2000 to 2005 ish, and eh, 2004. He just he got work past 04 because he was in Ocean's Eleven. You know, so it's like, okay, well, you got to be Ocean Ocean's 12 and 13. I feel like he showed his ass a lot because he showed his ass and ready to rumble. <laughs> he was like the Shawn Michaels of shitty uh, 90s movies. <laughs> Directed by Brian Robbins. Mm. Who you may know as the director of Norbit. <laughs> I wouldn't know it, but you would. It's actually the third Brian Robbins movie I've watched this year because I watched Good Burger and Varsity Blues earlier this year. How often do you watch Norbit? It's been a few years since I watched. Oh, it. really? Yeah. Years have passed. It's been a couple, couple years. I would have thought your favorite film would. It's a minimum every <laughs> two years, if not every year. There's films I try to watch every year. I've been buying too many movies. I, I don't have. I don't have time to rewatch movies all the time. <laughs> I'll get to it soon. I got to get through my. Well, that that doesn't help make your case for Norbit's being a cinematic masterpiece, comedic masterpiece. If you can't be bothered to watch it over a, a period of several years, then why should other people bother? Well, I I can probably spout out the movie by memory 
uh, and which allows me to go a little further between watches. Mm. Whereas other people who don't remember so much probably watch it a couple times a year. <laughs> to be fair, you do uh, tweet the uh, a gif from it about once a week, so <laughs> not as often as I used to, but still pretty frequently. Yeah. All right, let's steer it back to stage fright. So they're at the mental hospital. <laughs> they have to go past all the deranged mental patients to get to this doctor. And there's this one patient, uh, the eventual uh, mass murderer. He's Irving kind of locked, Wallace. Yeah, Irving Wallace. He's he's locked in a cell. Kind of looks indifferent. But uh, who's the the friend, the the main character? I don't have the names in front of me. I was very confused with all the names in this film. Was Alicia was the actor and Betty was the um, wardrobe person. Right, Betty. Because Betty notices this Irving Wallace in there. Well, there's Alicia's a room with looked bars at. on it. What's who's in there? <laughs> they have one room with bars on it for the one murderer, murderer in town. And it's kind of off screen that the orderly that goes in there gets killed and they switch places yeah yeah they don't they don't show the escape they show the aftermath yeah they just show the orderly in the patient's clothes with a syringe in his neck correct i don't even think he's dead because he turns he turns his head over to reveal the syringe yeah sticking out of his sedative so i mean but it's weird he didn't just strangle him to death after that (laughs) (laughs) i guess I guess he's uh, not as uh, awful as you think he is. <laughs> he's just doing his job. Well, he doesn't deserve to die. They say he's killed 16 people already, though. That's right. And uh, unbeknownst to the main characters and to the audience for some time, Irving has hopped into the back of their vehicle, lying in wait. We don't find out until they get back to the stage yeah, or the sound stage. And then go inside, and then he pops his head up. It's basically like Alice, she goes to the hospital because she has a sprained ankle. The doctor's like, yeah, you got a sprained ankle. And they're like, great. (laughs) (laughs) Give her a shot or something. I forget. Fucking loony bin to look at my sprained ankle. I think think he gave her like a pain-killing shot, like a cortisone shot. Yeah. But like they didn't even wrap it up or anything. As Brett Favre used to say, just need an oil change. <laughs> so you shot a cortisone or cortisol and put me back out there, coach. Should I just saw a clip from the Kurt Angle on Joe Rogan saying he was up to 65 extra strength Vicodin at a time. 65? Yeah. I, I do remember saying like, oh, one led to two, then to four. And then he did say like 60, but I was like, I didn't watch the whole clip, but I thought he would meant like in a day or something. Yeah, it was like 65 a day. I, oh, a I day. think it was 65 a day. I thought you were just saying at a time. I was like, that's like bottles and bottles you got to chug. That's a meal of pills. I th- it must have been a day. I, yeah. Unless it was like every four to six hours. Because he started with one every four to six hours and then yeah. he kept doubling it. Right. But yeah, I mean, I don't know where he's getting the prescription for it. He also said he, he tried to OD uh, the night before his 60-minute uh, Ironman match with Brock Lesnar. And then he woke up at 5 o'clock 
the day of the show, and then he went and wrestled Brock Lesnar for an hour <laughs> on live television. <laughs> wow. Now for the rest, of, you got to save some of this for you ready to rumble. Uh, yeah. You're recording that tomorrow night. I'm not sure when it'll be out. Well, uh, that's the plan. Uh, our friend Stu, who has been on the show before, uh, is having trouble finding a copy of it. <laughs> <laughs> Although it was, it apparently was his idea to mm. do the episode. So, well, today is the 20th of September. Uh, I'll probably put out this episode over the weekend. Maybe late Sunday night or something again, but <clears throat> be looking out for that. I assume it'll, the Ready to Rumble Midnight Movie Cowboys will be out before the end of the year. Yeah, I'm sure it's been a while. I, I suspect. Clamor for new episodes, although I think they're going to start getting back to a regular schedule here. And uh, may guest star on this show for an upcoming horror episode, so stay tuned for that. A little tease. Trying to make it happen. One of our upcoming films in our series. We would go to pieces if they didn't join us. <laughs> uh. <laughs> we would go to pieces if they did join us, because that's the movie we want them to join us on. Mm-hmm. Pieces. <laughs> <laughs> that one's that one's interesting. Anyways, uh stage right. Should we mention that they uh, they went out the side door that Willie, the security guard, was guarding? Right. And he wasn't With supposed to life. let him out. The security guard yeah. watching the door. He wasn't supposed to let him out, but he's like, here's the key. Put it on the shelf when you're done. And the shelf is literally just a gap in the brick the bricks. wall. <laughs> it's weird that none of these doors have push bars. To get out? No, no, it's a it's a huge fire hazard. <laughs> yeah, sure is. Because <laughs> all the doors can be locked from the inside, and then you're just stuck there, which yeah. is what happens. But uh, yeah, no push bars in the door, and which is all... another big piece of evidence that this was not made in America. Because <laughs> every fucking door in a big building has push bars, and the doors are all metal, yeah. so like you can't even get through them. <laughs> like you can't axe through them or anything. <laughs> Like they're they're <laughs> solidly built. <laughs> Steel doors deadbolted into the brick wall. <laughs> the one side, the front side, it's just a metal wall with a little cutout door in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like fucking Fort Knox. And it's it's soundproof. Yeah, well, it's a sound stage, so that makes sense. Of course, it's also downpouring outside as of right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because Betty forgot to turn her lights off. Yep. So they get back. She tells her, I'll meet you in there. I left my lights on. Or I think she might even go inside and then comes back out. Yep. When she comes back out to the car, Irving Wallace is waiting for her. Gets her right in the face with a pickaxe. Which I don't know where he got that from. but Yeah, I was thinking that too. Where the fuck did he get a pickaxe? I mean, later they mentioned the... Uh, where does he get all his toys from? The weapons is in the what department? Uh, not prop it's department. In the shop. In the there's, yeah, the shop. There's like a workshop. The director's like, oh, why didn't I think of that before? The shop. We'll have everything we need in there. Yeah. Later in the movie, they show him going in there. Yeah. At Although, this point, however, he hasn't even gone inside the building yet. Well, technically, they could have because they did go inside the building and then they come back out. But 
yeah, it's very flimsy that he would yeah. go in there, make a beeline towards the shop, grab it and come back out real quick in like I, a minute. I mean, Betty, uh, almost literally, she opens the the door, steps inside, takes two steps, turns around and goes back outside. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, there isn't. Yeah, there isn't time. I thought for a second, maybe they walked in like 10, 20 feet or something. But Unless she hit it in the back seat, I don't know. Like maybe she goes, in, maybe she goes mines on the weekend or something. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like they do the POV shot of her looking through the rain at him and not being able to see him, and then all of a sudden the axe just gets her like right in the mouth. Yeah, they do a lot of great effects in here. Obviously, they. You know, they started the shot with the pickaxe in her mouth and she just kind of falls backwards, but yeah. it works where they matched it up pretty well. A lot of the stuff they matched up well enough in here. It's it all looks pretty seamless. They zoom in on her dropping the key, mm-hmm. but then like they don't show him picking it up or anything. You're you're to put two and two together to grab the key. Right. Although she's also still breathing with the axe in her mouth, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Seemed like she was breathing still. Too demanding, Brett. Or this <laughs> Italian production. She's she's like moving. Like, <laughs> you just sit still for just like five seconds. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I wanted to mention this earlier. There's that fish tank. Oh yeah, at the doctor's office. And I I'm not sure the name of the fish, but I know it's the exact same fish from the Naked Gun. <laughs> That Leslie Nielsen sticks a pen in. <laughs> and kills. Uh, a great scene. Because I forget that uh, that pen is valuable. It's like, it's indestructible. <laughs> He's trying to break it. And it flips and goes into the tank and kills the fish or whatever. But Apparently is a lion fish. Okay. That's a fun fact. It's a scientific fact. Yeah, that! A scientific fact. It's not science. <laughs> scientifically proves that you was adjusting my seat. That's not science. It is, and just let it go. It's not science. I said, let it go. I'm just saying. Part of the animal kingdom. Scientifically proves that you moved my seat. <laughs> Speaking of Norbit. <laughs> honk, honk. Yeah, like just titties, uh, my titties make the horn up. <laughs> this hilarious um, uh just wanted some of my other notes here i have just wanted to point out once again that i love the score the all of it some of it is very 80s very electronic very beat driven mm-hmm. but other you know other parts of the score are infused with sax and real music and other parts are uh very ominous and just kind of moody. Yeah. But I think it all works together really well. Love the mask, of course. Also, some of the visuals, I will say, like I say, I like some of the, the director's choices in here. And also with the filming, there was some unique camera work in this. There's some close-ups from weird angles. And then there's even some like overhead to palma shots, like in the dressing room. The woman in the she's hiding yeah. in the dressing yeah. room. It's I got some De Palma vibes 
which would have been par for the course with De Palma being huge in the eighties, but, um, and him being Italian, of course, <laughs> they probably worshiped De Palma in the eighties. He's like the David Hasselhoff of Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, Ian Urza will be able to confirm or deny later <laughs> the next episode. This proves my theory that Italians love <laughs> Brian De Palma. Yeah. Oh man. What was I watching uh norm related today or yesterday? Oh yeah, well we were talking about that line. Just real quick. <laughs> Dirty work. Rebecca Remain Stamos comes up to him at the circus. You know, she's the bearded lady. She's like, You ever had a chick with a beard before? And he goes, uh, I can't say I have there, uh, bearded broad. And he takes out his, his recorder. He goes, note to self, I don't want to live. <laughs> uh, just a master of subtlety. <laughs> he has so many great uh, notes to himself in that film. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> you think you listen to it back later? He's like, "Oh yeah," <laughs> <laughs> and it is Rebecca Romaine with a, a very coarse beard on her face, but it's Rebecca Romaine here. Yeah, that's... this is back when she was Rebecca Romaine Stamos. It was it was in the heyday. It was before X Men. <laughs> this was the old Jennifer Lawrence mystique right here. <laughs> <laughs> The Jennifer Lawrence mystique was uh, completely obliterated by the movie No Heart Feelings because she left nothing to the imagination. I know. I got to see that now. Everyone's talking about it. And I was uh, a Jennifer Lawrence fan until she started getting a little annoying. Get to see Oliver. Yeah, I'm excited. Oliver North? (laughs) Oliver. (laughs) (laughs) Only if the tickets are cheap. All of her. <laughs> it was like she was watching Dr. Dusty Williams' uh, Japanese tapes. <laughs> She's hitting that backdrop driver. Who? Dr. Dusty Williams? Dr. Dusty. Dr. Death. I only know Dusty Bottoms. It was uh, Jim Ross's favorite wrestler. <laughs> okay. He's from Oklahoma. He's the greatest wrestler that ever lived. Dr. Death. Nobody's better. Oklahoma. <laughs> I just know only Dusty. I know, well, I guess I've heard of Dusty Rhodes, but only Dusty I know is the Dusty Bottoms from Three Amigos. It's Chevy Chase's Dun- character. I don't know where you got Dusty from because nobody said Dusty. Um, <laughs> I thought you said Dusty earlier. What did you say? I said Dr. Death, Steve Williams. And she was, his, <laughs> she was watching his she was watching his Japanese tapes. I don't know. His work from Japan. I think we can just conclude that we're way off topic. <laughs> just real quick, let's get back to stage fright. Hey Brett, uh, were uh, were they calling me when uh, <laughs> when I was at the hospital? Every name in the book, honey. Also, I'm not sure if this is in the trivia. But this is a fun fact. You can write it down. This may be the first horror film where the black guy does not die. There's only one black character in here. And he survives to the end. And he he ends up killing the, well, 
supposedly killing. He, he stops him. The, the <laughs> killer. He shoots him in the head. Right Although, between the eyes. God, how many times is he going to say that? Right between the eyes. <laughs> I'm not even going to put that clip on here because it was annoying me. Yes, you are. You should. <laughs> I requested it. <laughs> well, well, I don't I know. Cut I don't know how long that. in that. I don't know how long <laughs> in that clip you can go because there's there might be some gaps in there. Yeah. Um, this is true. He does not die. He's not the first one to die. He's not the last one to die. He doesn't die. The real formula or real formula buster. It's it's one thing if it's a horror film that has several black actors and you know two out of three die or something. This is the only black character in this film, and he doesn't die. Now, mind you, this is the 1980s. Okay? You think the director was still sorry for World War II, and he's like, "We got we got to make it right." Possibly, we can't, we can't kill the black guy first since they were Nazi sympathizers. <laughs> The fascists. <laughs> they invaded Northern Africa. So, like, nobody considers. I mean, obviously, they were part of the Axis powers, but when you think of World War II, people think of the Nazis. And at least in terms of in America, they think of the Japanese. And everyone knows that the Italians were involved and allies with them as well. But it's kind of like, well, <laughs> the Nazis controlled Europe, not the Italians. It couldn't have been that bad because Hercule Perot moved to Venice in 1947. <laughs> Is that when he experienced the haunting? Yes. <laughs> he quietly retired to Venice, Italy in 1947. So is that, am I to presume that was the jewel? What's the Nile one? Death in the Nile? Yeah. Murder on the Orient Express. Am I to presume that those took place during World War II or before World War II? I don't recall. I didn't see the new version of the Orient Express. I saw Jewel or uh, Jewel Death on the Nile, but yeah, I, 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 I saw Death on the Nile as well, but I don't remember them referencing what year it was. They're just like, check out these pyramids, huh? Check out these green screen pyramids. <laughs> they, there was there was battles in Northern Africa, yeah, in World War II, so. With the Bulge Battles, right? Was that? I think the Battle of the Bulge was in Northern Africa. Was it? I don't recall where that took place. Remember English speaking troops? Yeah, yeah, I saw the movie. <laughs> Dire with a Vengeance. <laughs> in the back of the van. Well, just quit jerking us off and tell us who the fuck you're talking about. Uh, Death on the Nile, Egypt in the 1930s. Hmm. This is like during, it might be the book though. You no, know, Hitler's Deb Party. You know, this is his coming out. He didn't invade Poland until thirty nine, so everything was still carefree. People are jet setting to Egypt, I guess, to float down the Nile. Nineteen thirty seven, it says, on our uh, Wikipedia. Of course, that movie also gives you the backstory on Hercule Poirot's mustache. Mm. Because everybody was dying to know, like, why do you have a mustache? Such a weird thing to have in the 30s. Uh, so let's try to progress the plot along because we've only had one person die. And there's eight murders. Oh, we we, we didn't mention also uh, 
Betty went out. No, no. She gets jump scared by the cat before she gets pickaxed. Mm-hmm. And then when Alicia goes looking for her, or when Alicia leaves after she gets fired, Willie tells her to go look for Lucifer. Who? Lucifer, my cat. <laughs> so it's his cat just running loose, wild all over the set. <laughs> but anyways, Alicia finds the body. Right. You know, and they got police and reporters on scene immediately. Mm-hmm. And they're even gonna station two cops right outside to watch. The director feels like we can use this. Let's rewrite the script. Yeah. He sends everybody home except for Laurel, Corinne, Brett, Sybil, Danny, and Alicia. To to tell you the truth, there isn't much of a change he makes. He gives the <laughs> night owl a name. Yeah. Now now I got Oliver North in my head. What's the guy's <laughs> What's the guy's name? Irving Wallace. <laughs> Irving Wallace. Thank you. <laughs> His name's going to be Irving Wallace. Well, the Olivers. <laughs> Oliver North is the one you, you think of. What's uh, Oliver Anthony is the one I was trying to say earlier. I said Oliver North. <laughs> Oliver Anthony is what I meant. Ticket prices are too damn high. And then, the, yeah, they make some other slight changes to the script. Probably wants more sex in it. <laughs> Yeah, this is the the second clip, uh, him kind of explaining the changes right. that he wants to make. Here we go. Mark, give me the script. I want to make some changes. Nobody said anything about overtime. You'll be paid immediately. At this very moment, Mr. Ferrari is preparing the cash. I was speaking to a couple of journalists outside. And they tell me a few things about our psychopathic killer. For instance, Brett, your character will no longer be an anonymous owl. You'll have a real name. Irving Wallace. How lucky for you, Peter. There's no business like show business. Well, good night, everybody. The changes we've got to make are mostly in the opening scenes. Peter, open this door! Open the door! All right! I'll open the door. And everybody can go home and stay home, and we'll forget the whole thing and cancel the show. How long had you been out of work before this, Alice? Laura? Brett? How about Sybil and Danny? You all accepted this job on a percentage basis because you were in the shit. None of you are stars, nor am I. But this is our big chance. We can fill the theater and get a five or six month run out of this. You know that people have a morbid curiosity about murder. And they're going to line up for blocks to see a show in which one of the actresses has been murdered by the real life maniac in the plot. Can't you understand that? But Betty wasn't an actress. I told the newspaper she was. It wasn't enough to say she was just a little wardrobe mistress. You're scum. No, I'm not. I'm honestly shattered about Betty. But I need the money. 
and I need a hit. Just like all the rest of you. So who is the second murder? That would be in the that would be Brett, I guess, right? Well, Brett doesn't actually get murdered uh till later. Well, he just gets Once you think he he's at least knocked out. They he's not they, dead already. They imply that he he he's murdered before he gets taken away. We find out that Danny does not want Sybil to get an abortion this time. This time. <laughs> this time. Uh, and Danny sounds <laughs> gay as hell, so it's weird that it's his kid. Um, <laughs> He's very, uh, very flamboyant. He's very in the closet, as they say. He's like the Todd Chrisley of the uh, the production. And Danny played which character? Danny played say? Danny. <laughs> I don't know. Danny was just there. The character name because the you know, well, Brett was the night owl, and then yeah, I guess they didn't really go over character names besides the night owl, right? Right. I don't want you to do abortion this time. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> oh yeah, Brett doesn't get taken to later, so this is uh, Laurel has to go to the costume room to get a sexier costume because she's going to be playing a new character right and this is the dressing room scene where she gets scared because she keeps seeing somebody across the room mm-hmm. and she goes into the little cubicle dressing room there's oliver anthony in there <laughs> <laughs> irving wallace is milling around in there and gives her quite a scare yeah when once she takes that uh that fat suit off she's uh a prime member of the itty bitty titty committee. <laughs> I had that written down in my notes. I was gonna say, Brett, did you know that she's a member of the committee? <laughs> uh I love terms from the late 90s. Because <laughs> I guarantee you zoomers do not know what the fucking itty bitty titty committee is. You're not allowed to say that anymore. <laughs> We're gonna get canceled. Hey, I'm not saying they're not nice. Okay? <laughs> Nothing wrong with them. They're just... just saying she doesn't need a bra. <laughs> she assumes, yeah. Uh, she assumes Brett is the one uh, messing with her, but he right. he's not. It's not him. She assures her it's not him. If if she if Brett doesn't cut it out, she's going to scream. In fact, I think that's gonna be uh, a common clip on the show from now on when you start rambling. Maybe about wrestling or something. Probably could have played it like three times by now. <laughs> Brett. Brett, you cut it out right now or I'm going to scream. Well, from now on, it'll be a regular part of the show. Talking about no hard feelings and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Death. Um, yeah, so and then after that, we get the cool shot of uh, Brett is like looking at himself in the mirror and then uh, Irving Wallace and the owl mask just kind of like comes up behind him yeah well brett bends over and he's standing there with the owl mask. oh yeah, yeah there yeah, were there right. were two owl masks which is important because that's why he's wearing one and because i think uh brett had one nearby like he didn't pick his up because because remember he says grab the spare yes he can't find it at one point and but... that's important for later because he he doesn't actually kill brett he ties him up and gags him and puts him in the costume with the mask on 
And then later he lures everybody into where he's got them <laughs> stashed. And then okay. Peter just axes the <laughs> hell out of him. <laughs> yeah! I got him! <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Which some of that stuff, like he's walking around in the rafters and like they're following him and they they probably should have cut him off a few times, but then like he just disappears. Mm-hmm. Like it seemed kind of convenient. Like he could just like disappear from the rafters whenever he wanted to. And on set, they're like, "Where the fuck is Brett? Go find him. <laughs> Get Brett out here." Uh, and like one of the one of the crew, or I should say, one of the actors sees Wallace in the mask. Says, "Hey, Brett, come on over. Yeah. You know, you're up. You're on." They like, go to up, your huh? like go to your spot. <laughs> go to your spot. You should have done the the Andrew Dice Clay. I'm over here now. I'm over here now. <laughs> they say places, everybody. I'm not going to go <laughs> to the other side. Of the I'm going to say, I'm over here now. <laughs> he comes up from behind the stage. You know, he's not stage left, stage right. He's behind the stage and he comes up and there's a, there's it's a, like not a staircase, but a, it's stairs, but it's the metal. It's like it's a fire escape. He's behind like a fire escape in their stage. Yeah, it's uh, like an set. alley in the set. Like the, yeah. the street has an alley, and like he can come up from behind the stage. And he's just brooding behind this fire escape. And the Dread Peter's like, <laughs> Come on, come on, let's go, Brent. I love this. Is maybe the best scene in the film for me because he comes out there and he looks so confused. And he grabs Corinne, and she is looking terrific. Ooh! Well, I love to jump on her bones. Mm. Love her uh, wardrobe for this scene. She's, she <laughs> does the uh, the frumpy uh, librarian, takes her hair down, and takes her uh, clothes off, and all of a sudden she's sexy. Yeah, she reveals the lingerie that she's wearing. She's dancing around, and Peter's like, what do you wait for? You know, kill her, <laughs> which is just, you know, hilarious. But also it's it's quite effective and creepy and, yeah, I guess, shocking that he picks her. Oh, he starts strangling her, I guess, what he's supposed to do. But then he has a <laughs> knife, too. And Peter's like, what's the knife have anything to do with this? <laughs> and then they all watch in horror as he stabs her to death in front of everyone on stage. <laughs> Yeah. Music is playing. Great scene. What are you doing? <laughs> and that's uh who is it Betty that's trying to warn him? Saying Betty's that's not dead. Brett. Betty's dead. Betty's dead. That might be Laurel. Well, how did it, Betty maybe die? it was Alicia? Betty got pickaxed in the parking lot. I thought that was Alicia. No, Alicia is the other one. Oh, they said Alicia was the one with the sprained ankle. She is. She's not the one that died in the parking lot. She's the one oh, that that's found right. the body. That's right. She didn't drive. That's right. She didn't drive. That's why I was confused. Betty from Boston with the French accent <laughs> is the one who Betty died, died outside. So yeah, uh, is it Alicia that's... I think it's Alicia, yeah. Alicia that's saying, that's not Brett. And then they kind of figure it out like, oh yeah, that's <laughs> not fake blood that's coming out of her. And then... Irving just kind of books it out. <laughs> uh, we d- we didn't mention when they came back in, 
after the first murder, Peter had Corinne lock the doors and then, well, the, the back door was already locked. Uh, so he had her lock the front door and then hide the key. And so now that she's dead, nobody knows where the key is. And so nobody, they're not able to get out. They're locked in with this killer. Right. I think it was Mark, the, uh, the assistant director or whatever, tries to make a phone call on the, the pay phone and he like holds up the, the receiver and then just sees the cord's been cut. And so they, they can't call out and, uh, they can't call the, the police outside because it's uh, soundproof and it's raining right. and they don't hear them. Maybe they can hear us if we bang really hard. On the, like they all go over to the yeah, like the door slash wall and start banging. And it's it's a sound stage and it's raining outside and the cops are in their car. So in the car with the windows all the way up. Yeah, they did not go through training day. Windows down at all times. <laughs> <laughs> They're too busy. Uh, the older cops complaining about his wife makes him eat spinach. Mm-hmm. Would you think you're Popeye or something? <laughs> yeah, it seems like anytime the tension is dialed up to such an extreme, they put a little scene with the cops in there to poke a little hole in the balloon and just let some of the steam out or let some of the air out. Yeah. Because they keep on popping up again and again for comic relief throughout the film. And they're totally useless otherwise. <laughs> Right. I mean they provide a purpose, I guess, right. for the for the but characters as to police. As police in the scheme of the movie. Right. They yeah. are worthless, yeah. Why are they driving a K car? <laughs> a Plymouth? No. They aren't catching anybody in a fucking Plymouth. You can't put a perp in the backseat of that. <laughs> Too small. There's no leg room. You're not catching Jordan Addison in one of those. <laughs> no. <laughs> 140 miles an hour. I don't know how they caught him. Just period. Well, I saw a story the other day. <clears throat> I think it was a tweet or a citizen or something. Citizen app. Somebody on, uh, was it 494 or 94? They outdrove the cops. They were going like 150, 160 or something. And they lost sight of the suspects. <laughs> they were like, just like, you know, any information, send it our way. Well, if you go fast enough, they usually just let you go because it's <laughs> too much of a safety hazard to chase. Right. But if you got your dog with you and it's having an emergency, you can go 140. <laughs> but yeah, he must have just pulled over when the lights turned on like, oh, shucks. Yeah. Your dog or your dog. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh. Few people will get these references with Jordan Addison. <laughs> we might be able to talk a little football next week with Ian Urza. He's a big Pats fan. He's from he's from the Northeast, from New England area. That's a shame. That's a, a Patriots shame. fan. Yeah. Well, I don't mind the the Patriots fans as much. You know, they sucked for so long, and they were blessed beyond belief with just Tom Brady and six championships, but. Well, they have Bill Belichick, who's the best cheater in football. <laughs> he kind of is, but got got to respect the guy. He won all these championships cheating, and but the, the best cheaters were the Saints, though, because they, I mean, they got caught, but they didn't get caught fully. Well, the Saints also had the best stocked uh, pharmacy in the NFL. 
<laughs> That's why they were so good at bounty gates. <laughs> Didn't feel anything physically or emotionally. But it was nice though because of Katrina, right? <laughs> well, the guy he returned the the kickoff for a touchdown. <laughs> it was the punt. Then he got ALS and they built a statue to him. Did you watch that documentary? I think so. Very sad. Yeah. Name was Steve something. Forget. Anywho, where are we at in stage fright? Just killed Corinne on stage. Oh, also, the, so Corinne's dying, and Peter had given Corinne the key to hide. So I guess the trap are going yeah. into work. Yeah, we yeah we we just mentioned that. Uh, so the producer is like shaking her, like, "Where's the key?" <laughs> and she's dying. Yeah, so she dies. Uh, yeah, they they're unable to get to get the attention of the cops outside. Then the lights um, go out. Lights go out. They uh, this is when they retreat to the is it the makeup room or yeah, it's like another dressing room. Like the before they were in the like the costume uh, right room, and now there's in the dressing room. Except for they leave Ferrari behind. He's got all his cash out because he was going to pay these people to stay late or extra. They were all, you know, running together, and he decided to go back for the money. We gotta, you gotta collect his things. So to be fair, they didn't leave him; he left them. (laughs) He also fumbled his fucking cash on the ground. He's the greedy producer. Although he was going to dish out cash to everyone for working overtime. That's what I'm saying. Like he can't just leave it out for anybody to take. He's gonna make <laughs> sure everybody gets the right amount. <laughs> uh, he is dispatched of very quickly, and then so that means there's six people left, I believe, at this point. There should be like five. No, it's six, six because he points. Peter points out that there's six of them, which is weird because there's been three murders already. And at the end, they're like, there's only eight deaths. There's been eight deaths in the, which means, you know, obviously Irving's still alive, which would make, because Irving yeah. would make, would have made nine. So I don't know how they came up with the math, but three people are, I, oh, I, I know why, because the first woman that died was outside. Yeah. Did that not count? And they had already gotten her body. So that makes sense. Does that not count? That, that should count. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in the building, they found eight bodies. Which makes sense sure. because the ninth yeah. one was outside and already accounted for. So Corinne and the producer are dead. Six people are left. Three women, three men. Peter and I forget who. Danny. Danny are like, okay, yeah, let's go to the shop. Or no, sorry, let's go to Willie's office and try to get the skeleton key. Right. Because there was a uh, there was a funny uh, piece of dialogue. I forget who says it, but she's like, you know, I think what if there's like a skeleton key for this place. You know, I was in Willie's office and I saw it once. Okay, if you saw it once, that means there is a fucking key. You shouldn't be wondering if there's a skeleton key to this place. Is it it shaped like a skeleton? (laughs) Yeah, I think I saw it once. Okay, so there's What if there was one? He tells uh, one of the men to stay behind and watch the women. They'll go look for the key. I think Mark is the other guy who's still left. Okay. The uh, he was the assistant, and he gets drilled. Yeah, that was a great kill. One of the women notices that Irving is trying to get in. He's uh, moving the doorknob, which is locked, but he's still yep. moving it. 
And so they try and brace the door. He sticks his arm through the door. Like there's, yeah, there's like like a little, I don't know what you call that. Almost like a little, a lot of doors would have like a little window there, but it's just wood. So it's like a, it's like they put the frame up there, but it didn't like a hole out. Yeah. Almost like a taper piece of water, like a weaker piece of the door that is easily punched through. So we could start strangling them and then just drill them from behind too through the door. <laughs> Driller killer. Yeah, this is uh after Slumber Party Massacre. Also after Toolbox Murders, which I have not seen, but I would assume there is a drill kill in there. Probably. Wasn't there a movie called Driller Killer? I believe so. So there were plenty of drill kills before this, but those 79 drawers. Another killer. aspect of this film I liked is that they keep on surprising you with the murder weapons. Sort of the chainsaw was very surprising and perfect because it's dark and obviously a chainsaw is perks your audio senses. Yep. But um yeah, because that came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting that. Where do you get a drill? <laughs> oh yeah, the the shop, of course. Why didn't we think of that earlier? I think they showed him in the shop kind of perusing and like yeah. the drill was one of them, but like he had a, a wide variety of options to, mm-hmm. to use. And this, by this point, he'd already started the music, right? Yeah. And then the music cuts off and allows Peter and Danny or whoever to hear their screams. So they run back. And, but, but this point Mark's already dead. Cause he's a fucking Mark. <laughs> And Peter's had enough. He says enough is enough and it's time for a change. Because they did at least once they mentioned like we need to, you know, stick together. There's six of us, right? You stick together, we'll be fine. And one of the women's like, I can't stay in here all night. It's like, well, to live? I bet you can. (laughs) Well, they couldn't take everybody with them to the uh, security office because Sybil was too busy puking in the corner because, you know, she's pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) She's been thrown up through the entire movie. I think maybe you should take the day off if you're that sick. She's working overtime. She's got a, a family to provide for. <laughs> well, Danny's still there. <laughs> so at this point, yeah, like you said, Peter's just had enough. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to try and deal with it his way. So that's when they get the idea to go to the shop, get whatever. Yep. They all go together, which is perfect although they they split up soon after basically they get to the shop this is when he gets the axe right or did he have the axe before then i think this is when he gets the axe they they stock up in the workshop and then they see him up in the rafters uh i think uh, mark or danny one of them shines the spotlight on him peter shines the spotlight on him he goes there he is (laughs) and it's so funny because he goes, there he is. You know, he shines the spotlight on him. Everyone looks up and very theatrically, Peter goes, he's up there. <laughs> Just yells it like they didn't already. They're already, they're all looking at him currently. Yeah. But like so you're, Peter you're has to be extra, extra dramatic and theatrical, which is just hilarious. <laughs> he's up there. He's very, he's a master thespian, if you ask me. Yes. But that's why he's directing now. <laughs> But they, uh, so they, they try to uh, trap them in the rafters. So like half right. of them go one way, the other half go the other. So they separate. As he goes one way, he tells uh, Danny to go uh, cut him off on the other side. And they don't manage to cut him off for some reason. 
Well, Danny's a little hesitant. Well, he's a little, you know, he hesitates a little bit and he doesn't get there in time because they all think they got him cornered, but he had snuck out earlier. Yeah. And uh, the three women are following Danny, but one of them falls. Yeah. Alicia is climbing up after Laurel and Laurel just kind of kicks her off. Yeah. (laughs) And she's kind of knocked unconscious and they're like, well, fuck it. Let's just leave her. Well, no, nobody saw it but Laurel, and she's like, fuck that bitch. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's been trying to get her job the whole time. We had three women, though. What, what am I missing? Sybil. I think Sybil was uh, with Danny. She was ahead of them. Okay. If she went, I think she went up there. Yeah, I think she went up there. I don't think she stayed back. That's right. Yeah, because there is two women up there because one of them gets cut in half. Yeah, Sybil gets cut in half. Which is even grosser because she was pregnant. <laughs> Disgusting. Because I think they have him cornered in a room and he's not in there. It's Brett in the co- with the mask on, and you know Peter hacks him up, and it's and then they find out oh his hands are tied, and oh it's not him, <laughs> it's it's Brett. Yeah, it seemed a little too easy. And Sybil was kind of on the other side of the room, and there was like a weak name? floorboard. Yeah, all was Anthony kind of was below around. her. <laughs> Irving Wallace. Irving Wallace. <laughs> Irving Wallace is below her, and he pulls her through the floor into the dark abyss. Like they all look, you can't see anything in there. Yeah. And then they tug a war on her, and she yep. comes apart very easily. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he cuts her with because the the chainsaw had not been started yet. So I don't know. Like, there's no way he could have cut her. He was just holding on to her legs. Oh, well, holding on with one arm and cutting with uh, with his right, I guess. But very, uh, a very sharp knife not, or something. She was not put together very well. Mm-hmm. She came apart very easily. And Danny's had enough. He decides he's going to jump into a dark hole after <laughs> the killer. <laughs> this is a bad idea because he got chainsawed pretty quick. Yeah, it's dark and all of a sudden you hear the roar of the chainsaw, which is a perfect effect. And then it's even creepier when they, you know, he can hear his screams, obviously, and they get the flashlight out. And they look down and they just have to watch. Yeah. They just have to watch um, Anthony. What do you keep Mer- saying, Anthony? Ir- Irving Wallace. <laughs> so to watch Irving Wallace <laughs> chop him up with a chainsaw. So they, they decide they're going to try to hack through the front door to get yep. out. Which doesn't work because it's metal. You talked about that earlier. It's impervious right. to anything. Yeah. And uh, Wallace comes up with his chainsaw and Peter just pushes Laurel into him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who kind of just gives her a, a cosmetic flesh wound, basically, on her chest. More or less, yeah. Because she survives initially. And... This is basically my biggest gripe with the film is just Peter's death and that he's so afraid he's holding the ax doesn't even swing it once at him. You know, like I would have liked to have seen him to swing in like I'm fine with the killer, you know, hitting it away with the chainsaw. If Irving just would, you know, like a fencing, almost yeah. like fencing, you know, just one or two tink tink. You know, he has a fucking chainsaw. It's fine. But, you, you know, your axe is probably longer than his chainsaw. And he could have at least swung it at him, dude. He just kind of curls up in the fetal position, basically. Well, he gets his arm cut off. 
Well, yeah, because he's not swinging it at him. <laughs> he's just standing there. Just leave me alone. Come on. Don't do this. Well, in the face of danger. Yeah. So Irving cuts off his his arm, which leads to him picking up the axe and then decapitating, which the sound effect for that is uh, chef's kiss. That was an <laughs> awesome sound effect. It was a cool uh, effect just in general. Like the whole the whole scene of him cutting his arm off. Yeah. Like like the actual like way they did it was great. Yeah, I think we missed it earlier. Or is it right? I think it might be right after this. Well, the cops are looking at their headlights and blinkers to make sure that they're working. <laughs> <laughs> uh sorry, what was the name of the girl that got the flesh wound in the chest with the chainsaw? Yanny. I mean Yanny. Laurel. <laughs> Laurel had gone, you know, she she we find her later. She was hiding in the like the shower. Yeah, that's yeah, she she went there uh, and then Alicia found her in there. Yeah, she followed the but, blood trail. But basically, I think this is when Irving just hangs out on stage for a while, or is that right after he kills Yanni? <laughs> it's it's after he kills Yanni. Okay. Because Alicia comes to she's she's got feathers falling on her face and she wakes up and she wanders into the shower area following the trail of blood and she finds Laurel. And um Irving's not far behind. No, and he comes in and he finishes the job on Laurel. Mm. While she stares into Alicia's eyes. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. And then he drags her uh, out of the shower. The cops are talking about uh, the James Dean book that the one guy's reading. That kind of look like him, don't I? <laughs> yeah. So we get a couple of quick uh, shots of the police. From there, Alicia goes to the security office and she's looking in the drawers and she finds a gun. Mm-hmm. And so when she comes out of the office with a gun, that's where she finds Irving Wallace like setting the scene with all the yeah. people that he killed. That's my second pretty favorite. Great. That's my second favorite scene. He just he sets all the the dead bodies up on the stage. He kind of creates a scene, and then he just kind of sits down, relaxes. He pets the cat a little bit, but he's just kind of admiring his work. Then the cat turns a fan on that blows all these feathers across everything, and it's, yeah, it actually looks pretty sweet. Yeah, like it's uh, and the music is playing and all everything. I would say the third best shot or scene is the the chainsaw death and like the them looking down with the flashlight. Because I think that's really cool. But yeah, I love the scene and how it's shot. So Alicia, she finds a bunch of keys. None of them work. Uh, you notice she's a very skilled gunsman because she's got both fingers on the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> and she has. She must have 2010 vision, like the, the vision of a hawk. Because she can zero in. She sees a little glint from the key that's wedged in the floorboards of the stage. Right. from afar she's like oh that's where the key is it's at the foot of irving i can see it yes and so she's got to go underneath the stage very quietly it's like only about half of the little finger handle part of the key is even visible <laughs> and she's got to wiggle it out of there because mm-hmm. she's trying to pull it between a couple of floorboards because what does she stick up there uh was it a screwdriver or a knife or something to try and wedge it out i forget yeah, it was like some kind of uh, stick thing, I don't know, like a metal rod of some sort. Almost like a 
an ice pick or something. Maybe, yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly. It was, what it was some sort of small tool that kind of went like, like an Allen wrench, but it wasn't yeah. bent. And Irving had started the music too, so he's just enjoying it. I wrote it down. It looked like the remember those old Maxell commercials or whatever, where the guy's sitting <laughs> in the chair with the big speakers in front of him. Yeah, he, he looked like that. <laughs> <laughs> only thing missing was his hair wasn't blowing you know yeah but uh yeah he's none the wiser the cat notices however so she has to kind of get around the cat and the cat does uh alert him a little bit yeah and the music stopped too so he, he noticed her trying to escape from underneath the stage and he grabs her or he hangs over her upside down yeah. and grabs her. that was a good jump scare because like up until then you had seen and heard him clunk 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 walking over her and then you don't yeah. hear it all and then he pops out from the edge of the stage and grabs her right but she stabs him in the owl eye also another great effect this, this leads to a cat mouse chase across the uh the catwalks i guess above the stage and yep she eventually sprays him with a fire extinguisher which they could have got a better fire extinguisher for that <laughs> uh because there wasn't uh if visually it, it wasn't very uh good <laughs> like like the cloud that comes out of it wasn't very uh impressive i guess is the word i'm looking for right like it, it didn't look he sold it a lot more than what it looked like <laughs> you know yeah. like you gotta you gotta get a big cloud is what you need you need a big uh you know co2 cloud uh he, he stumbles over the rafters but he hangs on uh she smashes his fingers though and he grabs some kind of cable and swings down until she takes the axe and cuts the cable and causes him to fall near the stage of course she goes down and walks by him and he he's not dead he grabs her leg <laughs> so we we didn't mention earlier there are several garbage cans a fire throughout the uh, <laughs> the sound stage. Someone who makes a comment earlier, like you got to watch those, you know, so you don't burn the place down, type of thing. <laughs> but yeah, I guess that's the heat for the, like they don't mind the the all the smoke in the sound yeah. stage. Like this is providing the heat, but it doesn't look like it's that cold. Like it looks like it should be like on the stage itself, like as part of the set, but it's not. It's like where the director is sitting. You picture it being outside with you know six bums around it with their hands out, but it looked like where Andy's oddly mom... off stage. It looks like the alley where Andy's mom bought Chucky in Child's Play. Maybe Peter's a method director and he just wanted the ambiance. <laughs> they probably didn't. Uh... Well, I guess they had electricity. I was gonna say they probably don't want to pay for the fucking electricity in the building. Maybe it's so one of those poor. shows where they kind of involve the audience a little bit, especially with the, I guess, some of the ambiance and the the props. Or they might, you know, position four burning barrels throughout the audience. Imagine sitting next to, <laughs> to flaming garbage for to make everyone feel like they're in an alley or the seedy <laughs> back alleys of New York or something. Disgusting. There's a night all on the loose. <laughs> just have some bums over it over top of it with their uh fingerless gloves on <laughs> trying to light their crack pipes <laughs> uh but she dumps one of those onto to wallace and lights mm -hmm. them on fire sure she finally gets out I, I guess the police finally figured out what was going on inside and 
maybe decided you got, to yeah she finally because she tried to unlock the door with the key earlier and it's i guess it's a key they have to turn like 30 times because <laughs> she turned it would click every time she turned it and it was like you need like four or five six clicks and then it'll open so, so i don't even know if i've ever heard of a door like that yeah <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, so she gets harassed by some reporters, but then she gets taken to the hospital where she realizes she lost her watch, which was, I guess, very important because mm-hmm. she had a very, very expensive, expensive watch. She was going to have to pawn it if she didn't get paid soon. And the producer's dead with all the, the blood money. <laughs> well, the money is now bloody with his mm-hmm. blood. as he We didn't mention he was hanged upside down by his, by his ankles. So that was pretty cool. That was a cool effect because that kind of pops out of nowhere where he's yeah. the frame. That was a good bit when the killer uh, hangs a guy and then just like swings him at somebody <laughs> <laughs> or sets him up in a way where like you open a door and it just swings out at you. Like you're at a trapeze show or something like fucking Michael Myers did like three times in the <laughs> first movie. So she goes back to the scene of the crime and she sees uh, Willie there, right? You know the the crime scene is not taped off. There's there, everybody's just, you know, it's open for everybody to go see. It's not an American crime scene, if you ask me. Although <laughs> Willie was pretty pissed off, like he had a lot of reservations about going back inside. Like I can't let you back. I can't let anyone in there. This is yeah. a crime scene. You know, cops don't want us in there. Blah blah blah. Why is he in charge of? keeping people out like i know it's his job on uh, you know normal days but like i would think they'd have real police there right you know like not just two stationed outside one side of the building (laughs) (laughs) or at least put them at both if that's the only two exits you got to put them at both exits like well they they thought he was outside the building to to start with yeah like we'll we'll make sure he doesn't get in She flirts with him a little bit, and, le- and he eventually lets her in. We have a we have a little clip clip here. Yeah. This is the last clip that I asked you to to get. Willie lectures her on taking the safety off of her gun and putting a round in the <laughs> chamber, much like in uh, *Nymphomaniac*. We got that same lecture. <laughs> I thought it was a little strange that for some reason the gun was back in Willie's desk. <laughs> Because he goes to his office and he comes back with the gun. Well, also Wallace is still in the building. Yeah, Irving. I I guess they didn't find Irving's him alive they, in the they building. Said they had eight bodies, but he was like still there, dead. Was mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't it's remember. Like, it's like she had the gun earlier. Like, don't you think that was that would be like one of the major pieces of evidence that the cops would lock up? And if you even think if so. they didn't, it would be sitting right there. But she never fired the gun, so... Because Wiley goes to his office, it comes back, and he's got the gun. Yeah. <laughs> so somebody put the gun back in his office, but... He's going to show her how to take the safety off. Yeah. <laughs> it's already in the afternoon newspapers. There's a picture of you, too. They call it the Sound Stage Massacre. Eight horrible mutilated bodies were found at the modern studios this morning as police... You all right, Allie? Yeah, I'm fine. That gun you found wasn't empty, you know. It was loaded all right, only you forgot to take the, the safety off. You would have gone if you'd taken off the safety. That gun's a cannon. 
I would blow his head off with it. You can bet your bottom dollar I'd have got him right between the eyes. You could have handled that gun. That gun shoots by itself. You just have to know to remove the safety. It's easy. But you didn't put a bullet in the chamber. Yeah, I, I forget if Wallace was still laying out there or if he like popped up out of nowhere. I think he, he, he comes up behind her as Alice is yeah. looking around and he's about to chop her head off, basically. And well, he hits him right between the eyes. That's right. Right between the eyes. Right, right in the kisser. <laughs> Pow right in the kisser. Pow right in the kisser. Pow right in the kisser. <laughs> the joke is he's gonna punch her so hard she's gonna go to the moon. <laughs> Pow right in the kisser. Pow right in the kisser. What are these days, Alice? What are these days? Straight to the moon. Uh, Good old days when you could make jokes about uh, domestic violence. (laughs) Oh, wow. Is he going to hit her so hard? He's going to send her to orbit. And that's technically not the end of the film, even though he says uh, right between the eyes 20 times. Uh, there's a final shot of Irving, his eyes opening, and he's kind of smiling at the camera. Is he is he dead yet? He's been burned to death and shot in the head, and he fell uh, like three stories off a catwalk. And it's like the obligatory "you can't kill the killer" trope, right? Because he's crazy. Leave it open for a sequel. So that's the end of it. Anything else you want to bring up before we rate it and get into fun facts? I don't think so. I think we covered this very thoroughly. We did. Had a great time talking about Stage Fright, a.k.a. Aquarius. I do love the film. I talked a little bit about some small shortcomings. I think it's overcome by the strong aspects of this film, which are, are the direction, the visuals, the score... I'm going to give this a soonish. Soonish. Watch this movie soonish. I love it. I also gave it four stars on Letterboxd. I give it an eventually. I gave it three out of five on Letterboxd. Eventually. So it just barely made the cut, basically, with you. I was kind of tempted to go three and a half, but I, I think it's a, it's a real solid three. Okay. See, when I discussed this film with you, uh, when I first saw it a couple of years ago, I could have swore you told me something like you didn't care for it or you were disappointed or you didn't really, I don't know. It, it seemed like you didn't have a favorable opinion of the film. You might have to go to the archives. Uh, I may have uh, gave it a last resort the first time I watched it. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember if you reviewed it on the podcast or not, but yeah. I I watched it and I, I really liked it. And I've, since then, I've kind of wanted to do it as an episode. And... I guess I had this full American horror theme idea for a half a year now, at least because I've wanted to do one on pieces and uh, the house, the Jack built. I'm like, you know, these are all kind of similar films in that they're, you know, take place in America, but they're, they're foreign made films. I was like, I bet you I could work it in. (laughs) I could uh, include it in this themed series. If 
I allow you something that I know you really like and I don't. I was like, <laughs> so let's do Texas Chainsaw 2022. I know you love it. I wasn't a big fan, but I was like, this will be this will be my concession. Like I'll get to do stage fright and you get to do Texas Chainsaw. And now it's like, well, you kind of like stage fright. And I'm like, I kind of oversold it and didn't really need to concede Texas Chainsaw to you. But who knows? Maybe I'll watch it again and maybe I'll we'll, like it. We'll we'll explain Texas Chainsaw to you and why it's so good. <laughs> well, what's this we should? Maybe we might have a a mystery guest for Texas Chainsaw. We don't know. He he has to think about it right now. He's, the royal we. He's thinking about it right now. Weighing the pros and cons. At this very moment. So either we'll have a guest or we'll, we will not have a guest. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, that's why I was like, we'll do Texas Chainsaw because I'm going to do stage fright. That's going to be my <laughs> that's going to be my get. <laughs> See, I didn't I didn't hate stage fright the first time I saw it, but it wasn't like I wasn't blown away by it either. Like it was sure. just like. It's got some fun stuff in there, you know, yeah. just a kind of a low budget uh, 80s horror f- flick, uh, you know, nothing. It didn't seem like anything too special to me, you know, and yeah. uh, but it wasn't terrible by any means. I've seen worse. Yeah. So uh, hopefully I like uh, Texas Chainsaw more upon the second viewing. I didn't hate it. I would, I would never say I hated it. I think I gave it two stars. Last resort, but anywho, I think we can get into fun facts. Mind you, I'm sure we'll get one or two more from Ian Urza next episode. Hey, everybody, here's some fun facts. Yeah, some of these aren't very uh, interesting. Are we already talking about them? Um, the scene where Brett bows in front of the mirror to reveal Wallace standing directly behind him is done in homage to Dario Argento's, Dario Argento's film. Tenebre, which uh, McKelly so uh, so Avi was an assistant director on second AD, right on that film. I've uh, I've not seen that. I haven't seen a lot of Argento stuff. Uh, neither have I. I. I love Suspiria, but I haven't really dug deep into Argento's filmography like I've wanted to. He actually did one in Minneapolis. Did he? Oh, yeah? You know about this? He did. I became aware of such film because Zolly tweeted out, you know, every time Zolly watches a movie, he tweets out like three to five seconds of the film. Yeah. So he tweeted out a shot from a movie called Trauma from 90, I want to say 93 or so, directed by Argento, filmed in the Twin Cities. It was a scene like on the the bridge, uh, the Stone Arch Bridge. And I was like, is that the Stone Arch Bridge? Argento, what is this? Trauma. I looked it up and sure enough, it was filmed in the Twin Cities here. I didn't know that. Or as Jamie Lee Curtis would say, trauma. Trauma. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I've also heard, I mean, Zolly owns the, he probably has the fucking 4K to that movie if they have it, but he owns it. But I think I remember him saying, like, yeah, it's not very good. I'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll have to ask Ian about it since that was filmed in our backyard. But, um, yeah. Uh, also, here's a fun fact. We kind of touched on it, but 
director Suave said that the ending of the movie where Irving Wallace smiles at the camera after being shot in the head is a quirky wink at the slasher film convention of the killer never being dead. So mm. he's poking fun at it. I guess it would be akin to Slumber Party Massacre in which you know, they kind of force the director like, we need nudity in this film. And so she films it in the most, I guess, non-sexual way. Well, it's sexual, no. but it's very creepy. It's very voyeuristic. The most voyeuristic True. way. Yes. It makes you feel bad watching it. Uneasy. Yes. Especially with not just the aspect of them not knowing that they're being filmed, but like they really, she really uh, zooms in. Uh, like the breasts and the ass and ugh. that wasn't a Weinstein production, was it? It was not. No way the Weinsteins would let a woman direct three fucking films <laughs> in a franchise. And every movie be completely different. Yeah. And as especially uh the first one more so than the others is a strong feminist film. Well, the second one has a rockabilly. Is a strong rockabilly. <laughs> aspects <laughs> influence if you if you will here's a fun fact uh so the loud classical music that wallace blasts over the theater system is from sergey m eisenstein's film battleship potomkin apparently here's another fun fact okay so this uh this next one answers our question about whether it's film or whether it takes place in the u.s or not whilst the entire film is filmed in italy Spoken in Italian with Italian cast, although I refute that a little bit. A lot of the you tell some of the actors are speaking English. Uh, the story is set in the USA with the Stars and Stripes flag prominently displayed in an office, along with copies of Time magazine, police uniforms, and police car, though obviously European, only make uh, marketing and fake US dollar bills to create the illusion of the American setting. So thank God it fits into our theme. <laughs> Uh, before his death in 1999, Joe D'Amato was planning to remake Stage Fright as Willie Shock's Treatment. The film was to take place in a TV station, which was reopening where years earlier, a TV host called Willie Shocks had killed his wife, who he found having an affair. Years passed, and the TV station reopens for the murders to start again. Killer would have worn a costume made out of light bulbs instead of the owl mask that's in stage fright. Another idea Joe D'Amato had was set on board a cruise ship heading for Barcelona. The killer was to have been a mad violinist. Mm. Instead, they made Friday the 13th, part eight. <laughs> uh, last one here. Screenplay was written by Lou Cooper one of numerous pseudonyms that writer George Eastman uses. Eastman's real name is Luigi Montefiore. So that will do it for Stage Fright. Anything else you want to add? No, I think we're good. Okay. Next episode will be on the New York Ripper by Lucio Fulci. Uh, in the meantime, if you feel so inclined to support the show financially, since I know you've already rated and reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, all that stuff, which actually you haven't. You should start doing that more. <laughs> Please do that. Uh, Brett, where can people get some merchandise and support the show? 
you can head on over to wtmwatchthismovie.creator-spring.com. You can reach out to us. You can email us at watchthismovie.yahoo.com. You can check us out on Twitter slash X at watch this underscore movie or bread at positively wolf one, which is also his letterboxed profile. Mine is under Eric underscore Mulder. Uh, please rate and review, subscribe, and have a podcast, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you get or listen to podcasts. We will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking check about? Check you later. Check you later. <laughs> hey, man, you off my case. <laughs> How do you like this weather, huh? Rain, damp, humidity. It's all great for my rheumatism. Ah!